You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. All right, welcome in. It's the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at Blake Murphy 7. Follow the podcast. And today we're here with one of our fellow Revenge of the Birds writers, John Buckley. John writes for Revenge of the Birds. He's done a great job this year with helping cover the team and what's been a pretty down year for the most part. Um, before we kick off, John, how are you doing? Are you doing well coming off of the Thanksgiving weekend? Sad there isn't Cardinals football or just kind of glad that this four and eight team, we, we at least get a break from them for a week. A little bit of a break from the disappointment isn't uh, isn't a bad thing. Um, you know, they had us uh, our hopes up for a little bit there against the Chargers and that felt good for a little bit. But then uh, Cardinals are going to Cardinals and, uh, you know, that last second loss was was kind of rough. So it's good to. Uh, you know, have some time to just, you know, watch the rest of the league. Um, it's funny. I actually grew up a Miami Dolphins fan before I was a Cardinals fan. Ah. So I can at least uh, kind of hop back on that bandwagon this season. They're, they're doing so well. So I'll be definitely uh, be, be watching them. Yeah, they do play the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. So obviously a Dolphins win would be good for Cardinals fans in general. Yeah, uh, double, double good. Oh yeah. But let's focus a little on this Chargers game because it felt like, as you said, the Cardinals just found a way to lose the game. It just felt like that's been the story of the season. I would argue that they've probably been the better team this year. Uh, or I should say at least for sure the better team this game that it feels like for a lot of these games they've dropped. Why do you think they went from looking like the better team that they were running over? That James Conner turnover, the fourth down call, obviously, are pivotal game points. And you can even say maybe the Cardinals getting some turnovers taken away. But it really felt like in the fourth quarter that it was their game to lose. And it was almost like the Denny Green, like, let him off the hook type of a deal. Why do you think yeah. that they suddenly just kind of dropped the game at the very end? You know, this one was kind of the opposite of what we saw when they played another uh, AFC West team early in the year, that Raiders game, when it was us that had to come back. Um, you know, this last game, we we started off strong, which we typically have in this year. We had a great first half, 17 points. Um, and what I, what, I, what I think happened is was just that that second half offense. You know, the, the defense played well all day, uh, but just those, especially in that fourth quarter, those those three three and outs in a row, you know, you had a chance to extend the lead, bleed the clock, and just none of it happened. Um, they Each possession was less than two minutes. Um, they didn't advance the ball at all, didn't score any points. And, you know, the defense just did what it could. And then, you know, you just can't keep a guy like Herbert down, you know, Austin Eckler. Uh, Keenan Allen, it's just they're gonna they're gonna find a way to score eventually. And if you give them chance after chance without matching on the offensive end, um, then that's what's gonna happen is is you're gonna lose that game. So um I, I put that loss more more on the second half offense. Um you know, I don't I don't think you can really say that they took the gas off or anything. Um they took their foot off the pedal. Like they I think they were trying out there, but just for whatever reason, um just were not able to execute those plays. Um, you know, you can probably blame a lot of that on the kind of makeshift offensive line that we had out there that game. Um, and just, you know, just some questionable decisions here and there about, you know, when and how to run. Um, but I just, I do, I do kind of pin that. Yeah, look at that offense. late game, uh, situation after the Cardinals scored that touchdown, they're essentially able to force a three and out. I think it was at least one first after one first down. I think it was Justin Herbert took off, but they at least punt it back to Arizona. And then you have approximately 
believe it was nine plays for a grand total of 16 yards as far as for that end set. And really, it just ended up turning into a battle of field position where the Cardinals eventually ended up backed up on their own four-yard line for the most part, picked up nine yards, punting from their own end zone. And of course, the special teams lets you down. It was like the one area where the Cardinals, I think probably you put the game away if you get that kick from Matt Prater to start the second half. You're at least able to kind of take a 10-point lead. Or if you can at least just get a good enough punt. It wasn't a great punt, and Christian Matthew does have a penalty um, for going out of bounds on the kick and then being the first player in. So it really ended up being a spot where it put the Chargers into pretty good field position where they took over in Arizona territory at the 38-yard line. You still felt like that as long as someone on the defense could make a play, you'd be at least good to go to be able to do it. And the pass rush wasn't able to get home. Um, they were able to kind of take a check down or two to Austin Eckler. And at the very end, I think it surprised some people, including maybe I was a little bit too surprised, given that Brandon Staley is that kind of coach who has gotten critiqued for going for it on uh, two-point conversions, on fourth down. Something we've seen Cardinals fans have usually been the beneficiary from with Cliff Kingsbury and being aggressive. Instead, it goes the other way. So I think what it comes down to in the end of the game for me was it really felt like in some degrees the Cardinals kind of got out coached in the end as far as either maybe they were too conservative, maybe something was there. And then it just felt like that they just put the Chargers in so much of a position to succeed as far as where they let the defense, which had performed pretty well up to that point, down. So I think that you talked about the offensive line. You've talked about a little bit with you know some of the coaching. Uh, that We'll talk about that fourth and one interception, at least with Kyler Murray and that play, which he said we were schematically bleeped for the most part. How much do you think that coaching has played a part with the Cardinals this season? Is it more related to just they've got the second most injured team right now in the NFL, uh, according to the numbers of people on IR? Or is it kind of a combination of the two? What's more to blame as far as for why this season has gone so wrong for Arizona? Sure. Yeah, you can't you can't discount the injury angle, you know, just they keep piling up, you know, the, the injuries combined with, you know, stuff like the DeAndre Hopkins suspension to start the year, you know, the, you know, Benjamin release. So even we're missing players not that aren't even injured, you know, for first stretches of, of the season. Um, but, you know, th- this is the biggest cliche you'll hear, right? The NFL is an X man up league. And you just look at teams across the league. Everybody constantly is dealing with injuries. Um, you know, mentioned my, 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 my Miami Dolphins, um, you know, they're missing geez, at least half of their preseason projected starting defense. Um, and they're still up there at eight and three, you know, um, just look at, you know, our, our biggest rival, the Niners, like, doesn't it seem like whenever someone goes down, always somebody is ready to, to step back up. Maybe just start with their quarterback, right? They're supposed to have Trey Lance. Well, you got, you got Jimmy G um, and they just have that stable of running backs. You know, it seems like they're always finding contributors at, at corner and linebacker. And we just haven't been able to do that, you know, and I think that's a roster construction issue with Steve Kime. Um, I would put our, our starting healthy lineup against most other teams in the league. Um, but we just, you know, knowing that it's such a league of attrition, um, Steve has never really been able to give us that organizational roster depth to make sure that, you know, somebody's ready to, to step up, you know, just who, who are these guys are pulling off the street to start at O-line, you know, like, <laughs> um, so I, I do think injuries have had a big, a big impact, but to me, it's the coaching, uh, more than anything, um, it just seems to me, and we're definitely gonna gonna get into Kyler in a little bit here, but it just seems to me there's a disconnect between uh, Cliff and Kyler. Um, I don't know if you know Cliff is designing his offense to suit 
Kyler's you know strengths or if Kyler is resistant to what what Cliff is trying to do. Um, but I, I just think there's a really big disconnect there. Um, you know, Cliff has had in the past some some game management, time management issues. You know, how many how many times were we seeing the team struggle to you know get the play in and, and snapped? You know, uh, before the play clock runs out. Um, I like Cliff. Uh, the players seem to, to like him as well. They play hard for him. Um, but I just I just don't know. Like if, if you're just talking about the NFL, you need to make sure that your head coach is one of the 32 best guys in the world to do that job. Are we are we certain that Cliff Kingsbury is one of the 32 best guys to, to do this job? I tend to think not. Um, I think he's, you know, he's got a good offensive mind. I, I think, you know, he could probably go back to college and do quite well, you know, if he gets over his uh, his his dislike of recruiting, I think he could be a, a good coordinator, but I just, I just don't know if he's, you know, cut out to be one of these 32 guys and he, he needs to be. And I, just, yeah. I, and I think what's it. interesting also is I think that I would make the argument, and this is kind of, I think you can put the same way as far as quarterback goes, you can have a quarterback who's probably one of the 32 most talented quarterbacks on the planet. And yet you're still might be looking to move off of that quarterback because that's one of those areas where sometimes in order to get an advantage or to be able to move ahead, you have to be able to not just improve, but to be able to continually improve. Like you look at, you know, like I'd like to think of a head coach like a Hugh Jackson, like a guy who got two shots at being a head coach. A lot of people mocked Kingsbury. You look and say, hey, he's a 500 guy in college. He's a little bit under a 500 guy in the NFL. The issue, I think, is that when you look at like the scheme, what's been set up for the most part, how everything has been built, I think one of the issues is it's all been kind of built around Cliff and Kyler to the point where Cliff is the offensive coordinator and the head coach. And I think I can speak for a lot of Cardinals fans when you watch the Hard Knock show. It was surprising to me that we saw little moments of Cliff and Kyler talking, but it was maybe in four weeks in the first time we'd actually seen Cliff and Kyler in like the quarterback room going over a game plan. I think that because of being the head coach and because Cliff wants to be that guy who's, you know, pulling up the game plan, designing stuff, being able to have it around him. It's a little bit different as far as from it's not like your typical John Harbaugh or an Andy Reid, a guy whose offensive coordinator can move on to a new place. Here we saw it was a lot of it built around Sean Coogler, and that's where his loss, I think, has not quite been felt for a lot of players. But it does definitely show that with the culture of the Cardinals that, you know, when you get down to the backups of your backups, your culture is really what's going to determine a lot of depth. The guys who step up and play hard. Um, you can see with even like a Buddha Baker for the most part, trying to push other guys. How much of the issues with cliff do you think are areas that can be fixed or is this kind of a spot at least where you feel like that you're kind of needing a fresh start. And then we can talk a little bit about some of the roster into this season, some of maybe the issues we should have seen going in. Um, but as far as it comes specifically with Cliff, a lot of people are calling for his job. What would it take to be able to actually have Cliff either convince you that he's the right person moving forward more than just, you know, the five year extension, which has not started yet for him? Or is it kind of a spot where he's already mm -hmm. off? You're going to need to show something to keep me on as far as for with the rest of this Cliff Kingsbury experience. Yeah, I I'm in the camp where I, I need to. I need to see something out of this team and, and Cliff specifically to, to make me think anything different. Um, we're three plus almost four years in and, you know, I, I, what have we got to show for it? You know, we, we had that great start last year and then just completely flamed out. You know, he's, he's got a body of work going back to Texas A&M that you can, uh, or Texas tech rather that you can, you know, pretty much kind of decide who he is. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, he's been 
500 or below every stop he's had. Um, I just, I just haven't seen anything that convinces me that this could be our coach, you know, for the next, you know, NFC West winning, you know, Super Bowl contending Cardinals team. Um, so as, as far as what he would have to do, what this team would have to do, um, I just need to see that, that relationship with, with Kyler, uh, be repaired. And, uh, you know, I just, I want to see, you know, cause we, now we've got, we finally have right. Uh, hop in Hollywood. Um, you know, we are missing some other guys, you know, we don't have, um, Zach Ertz and, you know, the O-line, but like we, we the, the whole plan was to have those two dynamic receivers. So we've got them now. Um, yeah, the offense looked, looked pretty good last week, um, up until, you know, the, that fourth quarter, like we were talking about. So I, I, I need to see some fireworks out of this team. Um, we haven't seen that truly since, you know, that's that 10 and two start last year. Um, you know, I, I need to see some 30 point games. I need to see Kyler look comfortable. Uh, I need to see him throwing downfield. Um, I need to see points and I need, I need to see that offense really, really run smoothly. And there just seems there's always fits and starts and hiccups and there'll be a good drive immediately followed by a three and out um, or just, you know, questionable play calling decisions. Um, so I just, if we could get these last few games to get that offense really, really humming, you know, the playoffs are out of the question, but if we can, if we can start stacking 30 point games and, and that offense looks like it, it does in, in Cliff's dreams, <laughs> then, then I would be a little bit more um, amenable to, to him coming back. But if we just keep seeing the same thing where, uh, you know, those, those random three and outs and just kind of the, the hiccups that we, that we're seeing and the inconsistencies, then I think we've seen all we need to see. And I think yeah, that's just tough. At start. least I think is when you look at last year, you can say that 11 and seven was one of the best seasons that the Cardinals have had in recent years, but you can also look at that. They're one in 10 in their last 10 home games. You look at the full stretch of a season, five and 13 in the last 18 games. Uh, if you compare that to previous times that they moved on from head coaches, I think of how in 2011, you know, Ken Wisenhunt, he came off of a year where the plan to go to Matt Leinart just didn't work. They kind of were stuck with Derek Anderson he felt like the Wiz potentially on the way out, and then Ray Horton's defense took off. They finished 6-2 and two to end the year, had the Jay Feely kicking game. John Skelton, he had a little bit in there. He brought in the likes, at least, of Kevin Cobb, and he'd gotten hurt. But going into 2012, you at least felt like, all right, the Cardinals started out 4-0, and maybe a little bit fluky. Yeah, finishing 5-11, and you could kind of tell they just needed to get a reset. And I think that Michael Bidwell is not one of those guys who is going to continually stick with the same place forever. It's just a question of how bad... And how good you kind of have to be, I think, the rest of this year. I've had a little bit more issues with the defensive coaching side. I think some of that, obviously, and we can shift into talking about the roster build, is a lot of what the Cardinals defense and under Vance Joseph has been has essentially been focused on turnovers and very situational parts of the game. Being able to hold steady on fourth down, being able to get a sack in third and long with Isaiah Simmons. When you're so focused on turnovers, though, and then keeping the ball in front of you, you'll notice at least a lot of times that they will, you know, focus on trying to make sure that they won't let the deep pass get completed where you got a guy burn someone in one on one coverage. But then on, you know, a third and seven, you may see a tight, a tight end or a running back be able to catch a little kind of pop pass, a little screen, swing play for the most part that's able to get some yards after the catch. Cardinals have ranked 32nd in the league against yards after the catch this season. To me, that shows that there's not just issues with tackling, but I feel like you look at the team and their eyes are either just not quite in the right place or guys are pressing. I think that you throw that in along with the idea of 
having, you know, J.J. Watt at 34 years old being your best offensive lineman, having to play two rookie pass rushers since Marcus Golden is unfortunately not really developed into that Chandler Jones type of role. It's looked a lot like the Terrell Suggs season, unfortunately, while he was here. And maybe he's playing through hurt. We know that he got hurt pretty much to start the year, but at some point you do have to produce and make plays. I think the one positive for a lot of fans is that we've always seen Vance Joseph, even since he was with the Dolphins, kind of get the most out of his cornerback group. That was the area we were worried about. We were worried about the young linebackers. I think the positive, at least, is that those guys have developed enough to actually say that, yeah, there's at least some positives that you can take away from the defensive side. Do you feel like that those positives weigh heavily enough where the Cardinals should kind of look at Vance like a Ray Horton type, or are there enough issues with the way that the defense is structured, even with Steve Kime? You know, the Cardinals did not spend a lot in free agency. They kind of just trusted that their players were going to step up, and maybe to some of their credit, we've seen a Zach Allen and Byron Murphy, when healthy, be able to take those steps, but Otherwise, it kind of feels like you're wanting a little bit more, just like at the end of this Chargers game where the Cardinals, for all we talk about the offense needing one first down, defense just needs one turnover, one stop. And unless you're going to blame review for everything, they did not get it. That's true. That's true. I've actually, speaking of Vance, I've, I've kind of come around on him a little bit, you know, in his time here in the, in the desert. Um, in the first couple of years he was here, I, I, I I think you can pretty clearly say we, we had a lot more talent on defense in those days. And I thought the defense kind of underperformed relative to that talent. Um, now it's, it's the opposite. It's, it's a less talented unit overall, but for the most part, it's, it's playing above the sum of its parts. Um, you know, there's been obviously some, some pretty big collapses this year and some bad defensive games, but you know, we had that stretch, you know, early in the season after that chiefs game and everybody gets, everybody gets torched by the chiefs unless they're the Colts. <laughs> um, but we had a really good stretch where we were playing really good sound football, you know, not giving up a ton of points in yards um, and then just injuries set in. And yeah, some of the talent deficiencies we're talking about, you know, we didn't do much to replace Chandler Jones. Um, we were, seemed to be fine going into the season with Marco Wilson as our number two. And that's another guy I've kind of come around on a little bit. Um, he, he's, you know, he, he, he has his flaws and he, he'll, we he will make some, some bad plays here and there, but he's um, he just seems to be, to have a knack for, for big pass breakups and just making, making plays when they're needed. Um, he could shore up those tendencies to kind of give up some of the easier plays like you were talking about. But um, I have come around a little bit on him. I think he's a good coach. Um, I think some of the, the recent, you know, issues have made the Cardinals defense look, you know, look a little worse than it, than it is. And that might Im- impact his ability to, you know, get another job. I thought, you know, there's a lot of still rumors of him getting, you know, a head coaching position after zero, at least, you know, in the interview cycle for that. But I think he's a good coach. But I, I think if we don't wind up getting rid of Cliff, that you could see Vance kind of made a, a scapegoat, you know, sacrificial lamb. All right, we're not going to make full changes, but we're going to get rid of Vance, um, and we're gonna we're gonna try we're gonna try that. I hope I hope that's not the case. Um, I hope we just kind of start fresh you know, from the coaching staff to the GM, but that's, that's a situation I could see happening, but um, I, I do like Vance. I think he's, 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 I think he's a better defensive coach than Cliff, Cliff is. An offensive yeah. I think coach, you can make honest. the argument definitely that if you're looking at the talent, the Cardinals have had an offense, the interior of the offensive line has had a lot of issues, but you know, you look at it and had no Hopkins, Hollywood and Ertz on the field at the same time at any point this season with Ertz going down to injury. He was on pace for about 700 yards, 
Hopkins and Hollywood were probably on pace for about 1200 each. We finally are seeing them both together and it wasn't necessarily like fireworks went off, but I don't think the Cardinals intended game plan was necessarily to get the ball and pass it a ton because the Chargers are not a good run defense. You can look at the worst teams in the league against the run or usually will stack up to be sometimes either the worst teams or teams that just have major defensive issues. So worst team in the NFL against the run is the Texans. They gave up about 168 yards a game. So that's like almost 200 rushing yards a game you're giving up, followed by the Green Bay Packers, who just can't seem to stop a soul. You've got a terrible Detroit Lions defense and then the Surprisingly, maybe to some because of how they played the Seattle Seahawks, but the Seahawks have been good in pass coverage. Teams have still been able to make it close by running them. And then you get the Los Angeles Chargers giving up about 150 rush yards a game. James Conner had, I think, his best game of the season, but it's also a case of like saying, well, that's like, you know, saying that, hey, this, you know, eighth grader did a great job on the football team against these 10 year olds. It's just a mismatch for the most part. So I think that was something yeah. that we could have expected. And at the end of the day, you look at Arizona, it did feel like that there was probably some opportunities that were missed. I think the question overall for the cliff for me and even Vance moving forward is coming off of the bye week, you had a chance to probably go into the game, right the ship, you get back to five and seven. Suddenly you can start painting a picture of the Cardinals winning a couple more games, maybe pushing their way to nine and eight, having a shot. There was a whole opportunity for that. And it felt like just seeing stuff after the game that a lot of the players, it was just silent. Kingsbury didn't have much that he said. When you look at the Hard Knocks episode on Wednesday, it just kind of felt like it let a lot of the air out of the building. And some of that I think was unfortunate because you wonder how much of that with the culture of the team is going to stay in place. Because usually as they say, whenever the culture ends up succeeding, that's where teams can kind of scrap and find a way or be able to bounce back if they know, hey, we could do better. We had issues this year. When the culture starts to fall apart and there's issues with accountability, that's really where I think that coaches and even general managers can then get in trouble some. Do you feel like that with Cliff and with some of this culture that that's a thing that he's going to be able to carry? Because I feel like that I've not necessarily got my doubts, but I think when you get to a spot of Cliff being a guy who's like, hey, we're adults. You manage yourself. We'll play well. Here's the game plan executing. And then when you still find a way to lose games, I just wonder if that's going to end up causing people's confidence to be shaken and cliff, especially against what we'll talk about this, the upcoming defensive schedule, which is brutal for the Cardinals opponents that they're playing against. Right. You know, so, so cliff, you know, cliff's a player's coach and you see this happen all the time when a team makes a coaching change, you know, if it's a, a player's coach, that's in charge, they'll bring in more of a disciplinarian. If it's a disciplinarian who was a previous coach, they'll bring more of a player's coach. So I think, I think that's something that, you know, Bidwell and or Kime, if he's kept around, have to think about um, because the culture that, that, that Cliff has established here, yeah, just, it doesn't seem to be working. Um, and I think a lot of it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, that kind of disconnect between him and him and Kyler. Um, and I, I think that Kyler deserves a big chunk of blame for, for the culture surrounding this team and what, what the national media is saying and, you know, the sideline outbursts and he's never, you know, had a great sideline demeanor and, um, you know, some of that stuff is overblown. Um, but then Cliff, Cliff as well, he just seems to be almost too on an even keel. You know, he, something he says a lot after games is like, our best football is ahead of us. It's like, well, we're four and eight. It better be, you know, like he just doesn't seem to have that, you know, Rah rah about him, you know. When you watch that that hard knock clip of of Buddha from the first episode, like where's that on offense? You know, who who is who is that on offense? What's the equivalent of Buddha? Who's our our actual our actual offensive leader? And 
you know, maybe Justin Pugh when he's healthy um, could, could, could have fulfilled some of that. Um, but I just, I just question on offense, you know, who, who really is steering the ship, who's the leader, who's going to rally the troops. Um, and if, if it's not Cliff and it's not Kyler, um, that's a huge problem. So then you got to think about, well, who's easier to replace and is it going to be a, a quarterback who just signed a huge, you know, extension, who's going to count against the salary cap or is it a coach who, you know, he did sign an extension, but coaches salaries don't count against the salary cap. So you can, you can get a new coach in there. No, no problem. Um, but I, I do think the culture around this team is, is pretty damaged. And, and I think you got to look at the quarterback and the, and the coach. Yeah, I think, for that. And this is one of the things, at least it's just kind of, sometimes you get years that have bad luck. I think the 2018 season was one of those for the Cardinals, but it's also a place at least where you talk about the team building. And that was a year where you go out, you probably don't hire the right offensive coordinator or head coach. You bring in guys in the offensive line and the secondary who were cut and released. There's been, I think, similarities to that this year. You can take a look. You're talking about the leaders on offense. I think people can pretty much say it's got to be your pro bowlers. So you're talking about Kyler Murray, who's missed two games. You're talking about DeAndre Hopkins, who is suspended for six games. You're talking about a Hollywood Brown who splashed in his first six games. But outside of that and Greg Dortch, there really wasn't a lot in the beginning of the time. Uh, James Conner missed time. You know, Benjamin's been released from the team. And you look also then at the interior of the offensive line. Rodney Hudson is at least is out after two weeks. It's Zach Ertz is out for the season. There's not been a single player on offense because except for one player, at least from my counting, that hasn't missed a game either due to not being active or being hurt. And that's A.J. Green. And he still missed a game essentially because he was active but was benched for that game. And that's one of the craziest things, I think, is that this offense has been just so dysfunctional in part that you wonder how much of this really is. You know, you look at that 7-0 team, they had guys healthy, and then once Hopkins and Hudson went out, that that's kind of what changed. And how much of it maybe is that the Cardinals just have not really adjusted schematically to where some teams have wanted them to be. I think, you know, you look at how on that fourth down play, Cliff Kingsbury, they call for a run pass option. You end up seeing that the Chargers stack the box and then have a late guy come in to kind of cover the flat route, which means they knew exactly what was coming. They had the first thing covered up. They had the second area at least covered up. And then when you look at where Kyler had to adjust and basically improvise on the spot, it was almost like he had to wave Hopkins deep to say, go and get it versus, you know, Kyler could be a great improviser, but it seemed like that there wasn't really that second option that Cliff had really even put into the play. It was then just, all right, Kyler's going to go out there. He'll scramble. He'll make a play. The fact that the Chargers seemed to have know what was coming, not just on that play, but then again, at that end game situation on second down, I do think that there is some area that you can say is coaching, but a lot of it, I think, also functions around the way that this team was built. Um, we can talk about Kyler because I think we have to get to that. Like, you can't avoid that. But let's talk at least with Steve Kime because he's been the center of a lot of questions, especially when it's come to players who've been on the team, who've left the team. You know, we'll talk about with how Patrick Peterson's gotten in the news. But I think what I've seen for some areas this year was – this seemed like that Steve Kime kind of bought in with Cliff Kingsbury enough to say, all right, you've got this scheme that focuses on guys winning one-on-one matchups. Like you try to be able to spread guys out. Suddenly you got one guy on DeAndre Hopkins. He can go ahead and be able to hit someone with a deep route or do a comeback route. You've got a Zach Ertz over the middle of the field. You've got a veteran offensive line. I think that some of what Steve has done is they kind of said, we're going to go ahead and get veterans in on this offensive line. We've got a guy in Josh Jones waiting in the wings. We like at least some of our, you know, young running backs. We'll get you that young tight end for the future. 
but it felt like a lot of what Steve tried to do is having to rebuild a defense from 2019 that was built up in 2021 and then kind of fell off a cliff. And instead of actually going out and resetting, you know, I think one of the things that I've said with Kyler Murray is being a shorter quarterback, you want to focus on getting that guy's protection built from the inside out. And big deals handed out to DJ Humphreys with drafting of Josh Jones, Kelvin Beecham. They really didn't address center outside of a third round pick until this last year with Rodney Hudson. And at that point, you're still trading for 32 year old center who unfortunately fell off a cliff that season. And look at this past year, doesn't make kind of another move for a center. They have a street free agent playing there, end up in trouble with guard where they had to kind of convince Justin Pugh to come back. It just kind of feels like some of what Steve Kimes issue has been is that they haven't performed as well in the draft as they needed to. As a result, they've had to kind of rely on some of those aging veterans. And it felt like that they were able to get by the last couple of years, but starting mm-hmm. last year, it just kind of ran out. There's also a lot of guys I know that we've said with players who leave the team, this negative is not necessarily about Michael. Sometimes they'll say the Cardinals, but a lot of times Steve Kimes' name comes up. He's been known to be pretty, uh, I think he's a blunt in contract negotiations with teams and with players. Uh, he also has been long tenured in that Arizona office. Um, did, of course, obviously have you know, the off-field areas, did return at least to his job after a lengthy suspension and some fines. But I think a lot of people, until you can kind of pave the path and make it right, a lot of people, I think, can have a hard time being able to get that forgiveness or kind of earning that way back. And I just exaggerate stuff even more in this season. Do you think that the Cardinals can move on from just their coaching staff without Steve Kime? Or is this even an inverse where that can feel like you're talking about who maybe should have the most fault? I feel like Cliff has overachieved from what most people said he would do. And Vance Joseph, I think, has shown he's at least a D.C. in this league in the NFL. And he'll get whatever college job he would want to go back to wonder how much of the Cardinals issues kind of rotate around that front office. And if the culture building there kind of needs to be reworked from the top, because that's what a lot of fans right now are, are saying, John. Yeah. You know, Steve, Steve time has been with the organization for a very long time and he's uh, you know, he's to me has a more of a track record than, than Cliff does for sure. You know, we've, you know, um, gone to an NFC championship game under his tenure you know, he he built the team that started 10 and 2 last year, you know, that Cliff did coach, of course. Um, so I, I, it's tough. It's tough because I think they're kind of intertwined at this point, Cliff and Cliff and Kime. But I I, I wonder if if Bidwell would allow Kime to hire yet another head coach and start that process again, or if he does, you know, see the need for for a clean slate. My my thinking is yeah, we, we need to start from the top, bring in a new GM. We've just seen too many draft whiffs from from Kime. You know, you talk about the O line, which is weird because he's a former offensive college offensive lineman, right? He played guard, I think, um, and we haven't had stable offensive line play, interior offensive line play in a while. Um, so, I don't see any kind of scenario where like we let Cliff, uh, sorry, Kime go and keep Cliff. I think that'd be weird. I, I think it's it's either they're both going to go or they're both going to stay. Um, but I just I do think that you know some yeah some of the off field stuff you've mentioned um, has left a lot of bad taste not only in fans' mouths but yeah the former players that we see um, you know kind of call yeah didn't yeah Patrick Peterson called him out by name like in that post game um, maybe I forget if it was Thanksgiving or, or before that um, but I just I, I think 
I think it's it's time to to really start fresh um, with with a new GM, um, you know, and so, someone who can draft a little bit better, someone who uh, isn't going to try to build the team around trades, which he actually does very well, and you know those those veteran free agent, you know, the time time signings that we we've, we've talked about in years past, you know, like. You, you can't really necessarily call JJ Watt one because he's a bit of a bigger contract, but you know, like AJ Green, who has done nothing for us, um, and th- that well has kind of dried up. So I, I just don't know what Steve Steve kind of does well enough right now to justify, you know, having him back yeah. for another there's year. Just, there's always been a little bit of weirdness, I think, at least with Steve. Like one of the areas I think that kind of was maybe a microcosm of some of it was you talked about the disconnect between Cliff, Cliff and Kyler. I think there's been some of that we've seen as well with the coaching staff. And that kind of is summed up with Steve Kime going on the record and saying Zayvon Collins is going to be our starter at inside linebacker. And that's almost like the memo being released. It says, hey, guys, here's our new IT director. Steve is coming in. And the current IT director, Jeff, is like, did I just get fired from my job? Like, I'm the IT director. What what's going on? You see then in the season that they play Zayvon Collins and he ends up essentially getting hurt with his shoulder. But. He just was not ready to go onto the field his first year. I felt like he was going to be a solid Mike linebacker from when you looked at the tape. It just felt like it wasn't one of those plug-and-play type of situations. And we've even seen some struggles this year before he and Zaven have come on. Uh, I should say he and Isaiah, excuse me, Zaven, Isaiah, very similar names. The, the biggest thing, yeah. I think, at least, that goes around is it feels like that a lot of areas are centered around it seem almost to be these kind of emotional decisions or when you make some of these decisions, sometimes at least it's almost this, yeah, well, we were wrong on it, but there's not really necessarily a factor of trying to find why it was wrong or being able to go in and fix some of the issues. Um, There's been areas I know we've kind of can bring up in the past of obviously you can talk about the Cardinals going back to the 2017 season when they just were not on the same page with Bruce Arians. They were not able to get a quarterback that year kind of look at in 2018 they bring in at least a guy in Rosen and Sam Bradford just completely fell apart for the most part and I think even back to when you look at some of the past couple of drafts where I know a lot of Cardinals fans wanted a CD Lamb and then the Cardinals ended up only next year going out getting a Rondale Moore and then trading a first for a Hollywood Brown because kind of you didn't get that other receiver your receivers were that bad that you kind of had to get a little lucky with the DeAndre Hopkins trade It's not that they're bad inside linebackers now. It's like some people could say this may be defending kind of a bit. You look at the Zach Allen draft pick, Byron Murphy. But on the other hand, it's not that they've turned into these elite level linebackers. Like Isaiah Simmons is at least making plays each game, but he also is one of those guys who got caught up at least in some of the trash that was being tossed around the line of scrimmage by the Chargers and missing the guy that he needed to cover in that situation. So that's where it seems like that there's at least an area of where the Cardinals haven't been, I think, necessarily so bad that you've had to kind of clean house in every aspect of the organization. But it feels kind of like that you've been stacking the straws on top of this camel's back. And then this has kind of been the season where injuries have now been what's really broken it down. And you've realized, man, the Cardinals, they're probably at least should be ahead of where the Seahawks are in their rebuild. And instead, they basically get outcoached two games in a row you then take a look then at the Niners and their talent level acquisition and draft capital. They trade a bunch of picks for Christian McCaffrey because they can and got extra players at least to go and make a push for a Super Bowl. It just kind of feels like I think in the core of it, the Cardinals are in a spot of they kind of are probably not going to be looking at Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime as guys who could necessarily deliver the franchise the way that I think that they're feeling like they may need to be delivered 
which is kind of rough to say, like it doesn't feel like the players have essentially just turned on their general manager fully or that they've quit on their coach. It feels like that they're fighting, but it's almost like you'd be a, a chess player fighting and you're going up a grandmaster and you're not really sure how to win. You could do the best job you can possibly do, but you're just probably not going to get there. I think at least in this spot, what I could probably see happening with the Cardinals is uh, depending on how the rest of the season goes, I get they'll get a chance maybe to redeem some of their jobs, but if they only win, say, maybe one game or so down the season, maybe have to win two, leave the season with the win. I wonder if Steve Kime, at least, you know, maybe he gets let go. Maybe they just end up promoting him to a different role. Some Cardinals fans have felt that Adrian Wilson's been a general manager in waiting. Maybe you end up in a similar spot where Kime's able to stay around the Cardinals, you know, be a lifetime kind of guy. Michael is very loyal to people that he knows. You're able to get a little bit of a fresh look. That would be kind of the one spot where maybe I could see at least the Cliff Kingsbury, you know, coming on. But the thing that's hard about Cliff is he is the offense. Like, he doesn't have a true offensive coordinator and the closest thing he had to one in the run game coordinator is gone now. And if he was going to be in a spot where I said, Hey Cliff, you can come back, but we got to make some offensive changes. Teams are just seeming to tap too much into this scheme. I don't think that Kingsbury would want to come back for something like that. Like he loves play calling. He loves being able to design and game plan. It feels like he was kind of ready made for an offensive coordinator role. And he has at least enough, I guess you could say, uh, lack of pride to let other people take up the slack on the defensive side or other places. It just kind of is a spot where it feels like that the fit isn't quite there. And when you toss that in with other areas, at least on the defensive side, like, you know, Nick Vigil supposed to be almost a starter this year. So Isaiah Simmons can play more safety and more nickel. He's gotten hurt. You got to have your backups and Ben Neiman and others have just not played as well. You've got guys who've been hurt and beat up. When all that kind of comes together, for the most part, you can see either coaches be able to adapt and adjust and find ways to win, or they kind of turn into what we've seen from the Cardinals this year, which is a team that can go from, you know, being able to kind of win a game that they're supposed to win to a blowout game and then just coming up a little bit short. So it'll be interesting to see how the team finishes. But let's just talk about the biggest central area. We talked about Patrick Peterson shouting out Steve Kime. He also goes on the record, calls out Kyler Murray, says that Kyler is all about Kyler. He came out later and said, oh, what's more intended is like, uh, you know, not to just diss him completely, just saying what needs to be said. You know, I may be one of the people brave enough to say it. I think the context in his podcast was a lot more of trying to slam the kid. But it does bring up this idea of is Kyler Murray one of those guys who can go out and be able to lead a team in the way that some people would say Justin Herbert's a great example. He's on the other side, down multiple offensive linemen, down to Keenan Allen. He's not able to get a run game going. They're able to kind of find a way to win. They make plays despite him taking four sacks. And a lot of people have questioned if that's something that Kyler Murray is capable of. Do you think that this is in a spot where what Patrick Peterson is saying that there's a hint of truth to it? Or is this simply a player who's kind of just reading a lot of what he sees in the press clippings and trying to find a way like, you know, a jealous person who sees that their ex is doing poorly that then just says, oh, hey, look, you're, you're doing pretty bad without me. I see how it is. And credit to Pat, he's, he's having a good season. But who kind of is the real Kyler Murray? And do we know who he is yet? You know, I, I don't really think we do. Um, I think it's, it's kind of clear that he's unhappy. Um, you know, just, just from the off season, right. The stuff with the, uh, the film study clause, um, all the constant jokes about call of duty, you know, he's been derided for his height, all of his career. Um, 
So I, I think that some of the stuff, you know, that's out there in the media is, is definitely getting to him. Um, and I, I also don't know on the football field if we've ever really seen the best of what Kyler Murray can do. Um, and I, I think I think you can put a lot of the blame on that to, on, on Cliff. Um, I mentioned earlier, like I, I'm not sure if if Cliff's offense isn't the best fit for Kyler or if Kyler isn't the best fit for Cliff's offense. But yeah, there's a disconnect there. Um, there are maybe four or five people on the planet that can do what Kyler can do both with his legs and with his arm. You know, he's got one of the stronger arms in the league. He's one of the best rushing quarterbacks the league has ever seen. Um, there needs to be a way to deploy that skill set better. Um, you look at what the Eagles are doing with Jalen Hurts. Um, Jalen Hurts probably isn't as good of a thrower or runner as Kyler. Um, he is quite a bit taller and, and a bit more physical. So um, that's obviously a big difference. But um, that offense is just humming and clicking. And there's a lot of similarities between what, you know, the the Eagles do with with Hurts and what at times the Cardinals have done with with Kyler. But, um, you know, so I, I, I don't know if we know who, who the true Kyler is yet. Um, I mean, the, the, the true Kyler is that he's, you know, worth $250 million or whatever it is because we're paying him. Um, but I, I, I don't think we've seen the best of what he can do on the football field. And I think it would take another coach to do that. But um, we've also not seen his best um, self, you know, in the locker room on the sideline off of the field um, for, for any number of reasons. And I don't know what, you know, what could be done to to repair that. Um, but I think it does go back to some of what we talked about with the culture around this team and that it's so easy for a guy like Pat Pete to come back and take a pot shot. Um, you know, I, I think I think Peterson felt pretty, pretty hurt by the way that he left this organization. And I, I, I think Kyler's kind of probably just caught up in the flack of that. I don't think it was targeted or, or really anything meaningful. I think he just like you said, kind of saw the team as a, as a whole doing poorly and just, just wanted to get another shot in. Um, but yeah, we, we don't know who the true Kyler is yet, which is strange because he's been here in you know, almost four years and he just signed this huge, uh, contract. Um, and he's a, he's a point of, you know, divisiveness for a lot of, of, uh, of Cardinals fans. And you see it play out, you know, on our revenge of the birds, you know, comments all the time, you know, you've got your, 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 your pro Kyler and your, your, uh, anti Kyler and, um, you know, both sides have their points. Um, I, I would just like to see it play out on the football field. And um, we've, we've seen really great hints of what he can do. And we've seen somewhat sustained success, you know, that, that start to the season last year, um, you know, and for whatever reason, things, things uh, have derailed that he's been hurt at times. Um, really what happened last year on the offense was that Hop got hurt uh, and that really affected things. So I, I just, I just want somebody to come in here, you know, that, can I don't think it's Cliff. Somebody to come in that can design an offense tailored around what Kyler can do, because that's how you have to do it. You can't. It can't be the other way around. It can't be a, a coach trying to force their offense on on a group of players or a quarterback. Um, you have to you have to play with what you have, and I don't I don't think Cliff is capable of that. Um, and just given the investment that we have in Kyler, I think I think we we need to find somebody. To it feels like at least with Kyler, and maybe this is just me, maybe this is just optimism and not real. It does feel like that Kyler, as far as the sideline demeanor, as far as for coaching, I know people would just make a lot of the body language as far as for coming off the field. It seems like that little area for that has improved. I know Lasita Smith, a Cardinals offensive lineman who's a rookie, so he maybe doesn't have two to three years of experience. 
But he goes on and says that he doesn't see the same level of problems. DeAndre Hopkins sends out a tweet or two at least that basically sticks up for his quarterback or at worst basically talks about down Patrick Peterson. Um, I think that maybe one of that is, is I don't think that you can necessarily say Kyler isn't free of blame in some of the spots because I think everyone could agree. Like there's places at least that he'd be able to work on and do better. There's people who've questioned, you know, how much of his coachability and how much of it is, hey, he's kind of in a similar situation to the likes of a Justin Herbert. You know, Herbert had, it was about like 275 yards, had another at least, you know, 30, 40 yards rushing on the ground. Guy's got a incredible arm and, you know, is this, you know, Colossus type of a figure. And Chargers have not been to the playoffs while they've had him on a rookie deal. They are only six and five this season. While I think that they have a good shot to go to the playoffs, a lot of people are just questioning whether their defensive head coach, Brandon Staley, questioning Joe Lombardi, Questioning, you know, how much of that's on the offensive line. It just feels like there's kind of similar situations. But obviously, I think a lot of people have really looked at yeah. Herbert and put him in a category that is just he needs to get stuff fixed around him. Things will be fine. I think that there's areas that Kyler Murray is kind of in a similar type of camp, but maybe isn't given the same, you know, benefit of the doubt. So we'll have to see how that will go. Um, I do think at least one of the areas that I've felt like, at least with Murray, it's just kind of the hardest part with his type of how he does relationally. He's not as much of a, uh, you know, that type of quarterback who like a good example, at least I can always think of is like most liked kind of guy. Like everyone knows them, at least for the most part, they're just kind of always around. Like the one that I think of, at least that comes to mind for one of those players, at least is kind of a Carson Palmer. Like this is the guy who had John Brown over to his house to work on routes as a rookie. He is the kind of guy who would essentially just, you know, be fun in the locker room. I think we've seen pieces of that, but I think it hasn't looked like that kind of perfect picture. But there's also then this other image of this quarterback, which is what I call kind of the secret psychopath part of the NFL quarterback. You look at a Peyton Manning, at least, who rips into people. Look at how Tom Brady at least reacts throughout the game emotionally. Breaks clipboards, like you said, yet yeah, you look even, I think, at some people sort of Russell Wilson, who has had success in the league. And while he's not seen as much this year at the Broncos, it's not really for lack of trying. Like he's a guy who, when he was hurt, is still trying to push himself to the limits. I think that's part of the reason why, when you look at how Seattle has just come out against him, I think that the reason why that you put up with it for so long was you can at least see that. The best quarterbacks are sometimes going to have something that's maybe a little bit off for them. Phillip Rivers is another great example of this one here who has probably had a similar, he's in a very he similar, not just Kyler, but also Justin Herbert. Like this last year, I even joked with friends and family said, hey, Justin Herbert, he's just like Phil Rivers now. You're entering the fourth quarter. There's two minutes left. He's down, needs a touchdown. And you never knew how the Chargers were going to blow the game or if they were going to get a Phillip Rivers game-winning touchdown. He just knew that for one way or another, that was going to be the situation for them. Yeah. I think moving forward with Kyler, what I think would be the best case scenario, and this is probably, I think what's good is you probably need to have someone who can come in. That's a winner in the same way that he is. And I think that right now with Cliff Kingsbury, I think that there may be some philosophical models, but I feel as much more of Cliff trying to kind of have Kyler at the center and mold around it like Play-Doh versus being able to have kind of that second type of mold that comes up. That's like, all right, Kyler, Here's the mold that we're going to be able to go into. You actually now are going to have someone who can push you, can rework, can shape you. And then even having Kyler to know whether or not he can go into that. A guy like a Carson Wentz, he was not able to fit into that mold. Check, He's bounced check. around One, from two, team check. to Extra team. And I think that's one of the things that will be interesting to see if Kyler Murray, can you get that type of a culture set up if you're Michael Bidwell? And is Kyler Murray going to be able to fit into it? Do you think that this is a spot as far as Kyler's coachability? Is it, 
a coach away, or is this kind of us maybe looking at more of a Carson Wentz situation? And the team really should start looking at all of their available options, given how the season's gone. Even with the fact that you just paid him all this money, you don't really get out of this contract for two to three years, even if you did end up trading him. I think a lot of Cardinals fans just, you felt like you knew one way or the other, but coming into this year, there was a lot of hesitation. A lot of people didn't want to pay and extend everyone, and they did, so this is kind of where you're at. No, that's that's really what Michael Bidwell has to decide, you know, and that's that's going to be at the top of any candidate for GM or coach um, is is that Kyler question. You know, if, if you're a GM, OK, you're coming in. Do you think you can build this this team around uh, this quarterback on this contract or uh, what could you possibly get for a guy like Kyler Murray to potentially build rebuild the team in kind of your own uh, image? Um, and then for, you know, coach, that, coach that comes in, yeah. Are you going to be able to coexist with Kyler or, or not? Um, and I, I, I don't think that if you're going to keep Kyler, you bring in a coach that can, obviously. Um, I think it's, I think you have to do your due diligence as a franchise. So whether it's Steve Keimer, the next GM, I think you do listen to any potential offer that, that could be made because he, he is still viewed as a franchise type quarterback across the league. And there are a lot of, franchise quarterback needy teams, you know, that's, that's one of the, the, the resources that's hard, hardest to find. Um, so I, I think that you would listen. I, to me, I, I'm, if I'm coming in as a new GM, I probably would not trade Kyler. I would, I would try uh, with another coach first and foremost. I, I think, I think that, I think that Kyler could eventually come into his own as, as that, not a franchise type QB, but as a franchise quarterback, playoff winning quarterback, uh, I think he has the physical tools and I think he has the will, the the mental will to want to want to win. You can tell he's a very competitive guy. Um, and those, those are great traits. Uh, I think that you try the, the, a different coach, a different uh, mindset, a different viewpoint, a different offense. Um, I think that it's fixable with Kyler. Um, you have questions now, of course, about, um, you know, Deandre Hopkins contract is, is going to be a point this off season to discuss. Uh, whether or not to extend Hollywood Brown, um, you know, then you got your younger players, you know, Rondale Moore and um, Trey McBride, you know, and then you've got the contracts of, of Ertz and Connor. So there's pieces around him. Um, you have to kind of make some decisions on there, but I do think that, that it's fixable with Kyler. I would, I would keep Kyler um, and try and do coach. That's, that's how yeah, I it feels like that. this coming to this year, there was kind of a question of safe or not safe. I think unless I'm wrong, like maybe you can speak out if there's anyone ad- additionally, it feels kind of like the Vance and the defensive coaches have been kind of on the fence. At least is how it feels. You feel like your linebackers now are safe. You feel like your cornerbacks have proved a lot. Really. It's been the offensive side with Cliff Kingsbury. And then, you know, obviously you mentioned the Hopkins question, Hollywood Brown with the draft pick. Uh, you want to see, obviously going into next year, that same kind of question is going to probably apply to a Trey McBride. feels like so much of this kind of revolves around what's going to be kind of the coaching status. And like, I, I agree with you. If you're not going to move on from Steve Kime in one way, I don't think that you should even move on from the likes of a Vance Joseph and a Cliff Kingsbury, because it's like, well, what's really kind of the point? You're going to go back and try to say, we bring in this other offensive coordinator from an NFL team. That's the fix that we need. But, you know, you're not going to change some of the other parts of the culture. Or if you were going to move to a Vance Joseph as head coach and bring in a different offensive coordinator. Well, suddenly you may be having a different whole type of 
offensive approach that's maybe more run first. It's maybe more of that Steve Wilkes area that just doesn't feel like it's been really ever a true Cardinals identity because even with Bruce Arians, they still were able to kind of just have a deep passing attack at that indoor uh, stadium. This just feels like there's a lot up in the air. I think that the biggest thing that will come down is what is your prediction for the rest of the season? Because I think a lot of people are going to wonder what's Michael's decision going to be. Is he going to end up seeing this where he ends up seeing another year that's given because the team can turn around and end up winning another, you know, three games out of these last five, go three and two down the stretch. Maybe you can see if they go four and one would be maybe the best case scenario for this team. But as of right now, it feels kind of like that these last couple of games are going to be very big in determining how much of it was, you know, injury issues and how much of it is just needing to kind of push out the people who brought this season around and write this ship. What are some of your predictions for what you would think the Cardinals would be for the rest of this year? Well, I'm just looking ahead at the schedule, right? We've got the, uh, the Patriots game after the bye. We travel to Denver. We've got the, the Bucks at home in a primetime game. And then we got two road games against Atlanta and then the Niners. Um, I could, you know, those are all winnable games to me. Um, at the Niners will obviously be really tough, but um, it's easy to imagine a scenario where the Niners are locked into their playoff seed and they wouldn't necessarily be playing all their starters. So that's that's the only reason I say that game is winnable. Um, so I think these games are winnable. Do I think we win all of them? No, no, I don't. Um but they, they, they should all be competitive, and that's really the best that some of these guys who are playing for their jobs can hope for. You know, Steve Keim, uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, Vance Joseph, um, some, of the, some of the players on the fence. So th- those games need to be competitive, um, and that's, that's what Michael Bidwell is going to be looking for. I'm not, I'm not sure if he's really going to make it that crystal clear, you know, on wins and losses. Um, I'm not sure that's what it's going to come down to. He doesn't seem to operate that way. Um, he, he ran it back this off, this last off season, despite evidence that was showing, um, that, that, that maybe some changes did need to be made given, given that, you know, really, really bad collapse. Um, I, th- I think he tends to do things more on, you know, gut and intuition, which I think is why Steve Kime has been along, around as long as he have, cause he operates kind of the same way. Um, and I, I, I just, I just think those two are, are, are pretty tightly entwined. I think it would take a lot for, for Bidwell to, uh, move on from Cliff. Maybe losing all five of these games would would do it. Um, you know, but as far as prediction, why? You know, I don't see really any better than than a two and three finish. You know, it, it seems like you know even even ASU could go in and beat Russell Wilson in the Broncos at this point. Um, I'm just glad that that we're not in that franchise's position. Um, so we're at least we're at least a better team than than them. Um, and then you, you, you find a way to win one of these other games. Um, the Patriots game is very winnable. Uh, the Falcons are beatable. And then, you know, who knows what happens at the home, home against the Bucks. But um, I'm, I'm thinking we win that Denver game and then one of the others, two and three, you know, that would give us a, a what, a six and 11 yeah. season, um, which isn't, you know, it, it isn't that three and 13 Steve Wilkes year where we did clean house, but it's certainly well, well short of where anybody. Yeah, wants I think to I've looked at that and it feels like to me that from seeing the way the schedules lined up, you would feel like the Cardinals should be able to at most be able to go maybe three and two would be how you'd expect, which would be more of a seven and 10 type of season. 
the thing at least about it is you've lost so many games, you're not going to really have a shot to be able to finish at eight and nine unless you go four and one. So that means that you're not even going to get close to 500 without winning most of these games down the stretch. And to be honest, a lot of these defenses, one of the more two of the most winnable games down the stretch that I think you could target were the Rams game, because very clearly the Rams are like one of the worst teams in the league. Everyone's been hurt and injured with zero death. Matthew Stafford, he's out of concussion protocol again, but he's probably not going to play again anyway. So you can at least say that that was one of the games. The other was really this Chargers game because of how bad their running defense was. You've got a rushing threat in Kyler Murray. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think at least that losing this winnable game really hurts because you're talking about a Bucks team that at least defensively, when you're looking at how many yards per game they're giving up, They've been one of the better teams in the league overall as far as, you know, they're only giving up about uh, 315 yards of offense a game that's top 10 in defense. Cardinals have been kind of near the bottom 10, but it's not the bottom. You're talking about the Broncos being essentially a top three defense, which has just been held back by their offense. You can even look at the Falcons for all of the struggles the NFC South has gone through. They're still at least a pretty solid offense uh, despite losing Kyle Pitts for the season, uh, they're at least pushing for a playoff spot. And then the Patriots are just one of those teams that, like, Cliff didn't beat them last year with Cam Newton despite the Herculean effort. They've had a lot of struggles this year, but they've still at least been average enough on offense, and they've been pretty darn good on defense. None of these games feel like it's any type of a gimme for the Cardinals. It feels like the, it's not that, you know, they're going up against, you know, like the Colin Kaepernick Niners and the Russell Wilson Seahawks to close the season out. but you, doesn't feel like that there's a gimme game. So I've got them only winning one more game this season because I think that the offense has struggled enough that we've seen issues. Maybe you could convince me that they could go, like you said, two and three, but I feel like it'd be a lot easier to pick them to go two and three if they'd been able to pick up this win against the Chargers. I think the question at least here then yeah. is what would be kind of the maybe win total or limit of saying, hey, if the Cardinals go three and two down the stretch, do you bring Cliff back? Or is this kind of a spot of, man, like, they're kind of off the roster. You may need to reset unless they can kind of, you know, close out going, you know, five straight wins to go and finish it. You know, um, I was that at least at like uh nine and eight uh, to be able to have a winning record. Like, obviously not going to say that that won't happen. What would be kind of the, the level that you would say as far as what's that tipping point the Cardinals fans should look for? And then we can talk a little bit about what that may lead to if they do get past that tipping point. Sure. Yeah, I, I I think if you you know miracle upon miracles happens, they do finish five and zero. I think you could expect everybody to come back. Um, I think a four and one finish, um, you would tend to lean towards you know all right we finally it, the the story would be we finally found a way to succeed mm-hmm. in the second half. So now we've got to fix the first half. Uh, I think I think you could make a case for bringing everybody back at at, at a four and one finish and an eight and nine final record. Anything below that, you know, seven and ten, six and eleven, and if we were to lose out, um, much more likely to to at least at least move on from from Cliff. Um, so if you, I say they go two and three, you say they go one and four. I I would tend to think that Cliff would not return. I would uh, lean. We were I to, would lean to that to side too, considering loss. that it just feels kind of like you've reached this point of stagnation, and it's not been that. The offense has been the problem. It's been kind of the offense and the defense and the special teams. It kind of feels like it's almost, it's kind of a Steve Kime type of issue that has reflected itself in the coaching staff. Cause it's like, you know, Cliff, I said with the time was probably the best candidate the Cardinals could get and maybe the best fit for Kyler Murray. They've turned it around, but it does kind of feel like, and this is 
part of what I think fans have said is it's going to be really hard to, I think, overcome that and come back to Steve Keim, say that that's continuing to be the thing. We can saw how the Cardinals moved on from Rod Gray's and saw improvement with Steve Keim. Uh, before we talk at least about the number one reason what that would lead, if you're looking at what our predictions and scores would say, the Cardinals, as far as for having a draft pick, is probably going to be pretty high this year unless they're able to go you know, get like, you know, four or five wins down the stretch. At four and eight, they're probably not going to be able to land as high as the number three pick unless they're able to lose to the Denver Broncos and like lose out. And even then, the Los Angeles Rams seem on track, having lost five games straight, to probably be the worst team than them. So you're probably at highest going to pick fourth, maybe fifth. I think that at the lowest, if you do end up, say, going three and two, you get about a seven and nine record. You're probably going to be looking at compared with teams like Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, maybe Detroit, somewhere in that kind of maybe 10 to 14 range. I think it's most likely the Cardinals end up probably picking around where they are right now, somewhere between six to eight, because they've lost enough games, at least that even if a team like Carolina and New Orleans ends up being able to, you know, kind of go down there. They've won games over both of them, so you're not going to be able to pass them up at least head-to-head, but they're also tied with New Orleans and with Carolina, which means if either of those teams in the NFC South beat each other or win another game and the Cardinals do lose out, I I just see there's a pretty decent chance that they're not going to be able to tank as hard as I think some fans would want. There's a lot of good talent, but I also think they're at least going to probably get a decent player. Are there any other draft players that you've got your eye on, some type of a fix, or would you be looking into trading a pick like that or so for a certain coach that we'll talk uh, uh, in a second here as we kind of close out the ROTB pod? Sure, yeah, that that would be interesting. Um, I, I haven't really done my my research on the, on the draft prospects. Um, I certainly wouldn't trade it for a player, um, but, you know, if, if we're just talking about positions, um, you know, if there's a, a an edge rusher that's up there or uh, a stud offensive lineman, I think I think you got to look to to really fortify those trenches. Um, I think we're we're pretty well set, you know, out you know the 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 glamour positions, right, receiver and corner and safety and and those type of positions. Um, so I think you got to get some big bodies, and if there's a, a stud, you know edge rusher, D-tackle, O-lineman, I think that's where the, where we should park yeah, I think our That's pick. what's interesting is with J.J. Watt's a free agent, Byron Murphy's a free agent, Zach Allen is a free agent. Those are kind of your guys in the interior. What's, what's funny about the Cardinals, at least, is that if you look at where their team is kind of built and structured, unless you're going to just move on from one of DeAndre Hopkins or Hollywood Brown, you kind of have the least sexy positions are the ones the Cardinals need the most that are not the picks that go in the top five or top 10. Like you're talking about a center being a huge need. You're talking about offensive guards. Cause you know, with Sean Kugler gone, it's maybe Will earn Anderson comes back, but maybe he doesn't. Um, I think you take a look at least at, are you going to re-sign Zach Allen, Byron Murphy? Uh, you're going to sign JJ Watt. I think at least for right now, you also have to look at running back considering that even though you've got James Conner signed, it's only really for one more year of guaranteed money. And with letting go of Eno Benjamin, you probably are going to be spending a higher pick on a back than you'd think because Arizona's running game, it's not been great. And it's not just because of the line. Um, and then you talk about nose tackle and up front. It's kind of in that weird spot of, I think some fans will be looking at trading back, but is there one position in particular that kind of would stand out to you because at the top of the draft for me there I think you got to be thinking at least that an edge rusher someone to replace the Chandler Jones maybe even replace J.J. Watt feels like that that would be high up or you can probably look at this team's cornerback situation say they're probably fine on corner but maybe you need one more guy even if you do bring back Byron Murphy on a contract 
those are some different areas I could see the Cardinals going toward, depending on, you know, we don't even know what type of a situation they'll be in with the coaching staff or needs going into next year. Any other thoughts about that as far as it goes with some of their prospects, or is it just we're too early to be talking about all of this? Yeah. 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 A little bit too early, but I, I think that you can expect the Cardinals will be bringing back Murphy and Allen. Um, you know, there are draft picks. I'm not sure if they're restricted free agents or what their actual status is, but I, I think both those guys will be coming back. Uh, I don't think you bring Watt back. Um, so, you know, with, with that said, um, yeah, I think if, if you can land an edge rush, rusher, uh, that's really got to be, be key. We've got some, you know, some younger guys, you know, uh, Thomas and Sanders have, have shown some flashes. Gardeck has shown some flashes, but, you know, we were kind of looking for, you know, Marcus Golden to really have another strong year. He didn't. Um, so I, I think that's something that we're really going to need to look at. Uh, if there's another cornerback at the top of the draft, um, you know, pair him with Murray and then maybe slide Marco Wilson into the slot. Uh, I think that's a pretty, you know, assuming the, the rookie works out, that's a pretty decent cornerback trio. Um, but yeah, so those are, those are two positions I think would work. You're not, you're not really going to take a guard or a center that high, but you know, then again, if, if Kime is in charge for another draft, you know, he took two inside linebackers two years in a row and that's, you know, you can find contributors at that position well, well later in the draft or, or, or elsewhere. Um, and you mentioned running back as well. That's another position you can really fill, um, later in the draft, you know, kind of wish that you might have a guy a guy like, you know, Benjamin still around and we still, still don't really know what happened there. Um, but I'm, I'm not too worried about replacing, you know, Connor if and when we, we need to do that in the next year or two. But the way that usually it goes with the draft is always that there's either talent, like some people, I think the 2018 draft, great example of it. Do you have the Giants take a running back in Saquon Barkley or a quarterback? And it turns out that, well, yeah, you nailed the pick of Saquon Barkley. He's a great running back, but you passed on to Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson to do it. And it'll be interesting, I think, to see exactly if a new approach gets taken for the most part, because like like you said, a lot of these different spots, you look at how there still are like running backs that make a difference for teams. It's just not necessarily gone in the top 10. But, you know, even a guy like a James Conner as a fourth round draft pick, it wasn't like, you know, you just take a street free agent sign him like even an Eno Benjamin probably a guy that I think could have gone a little higher, but that's going to be something I think that I agree with you as far as when it gets to it, because I think that that pick could be, you know, if they bring back Zach Allen, bring back Byron Murphy. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that's an edge rusher then if you're not going to bring back JJ Watt. So let's talk about the last and probably thing that most Cardinals fans have wanted to talk about right now, because it's been on pretty much every Cardinals podcast. It's been on pretty much every Cardinals tweet almost. And that's Sean Payton, the head coach, at least who's out there, who's available and who's been tied now to the Arizona Cardinals with a report from Jeremy Fowler saying that he's looking at some jobs, specifically the Cardinals job and the Chargers job. And also, know we've had our uh, insider friend Benjamin Albright. He's been on the ROTB pod before, gave some cool insight about Vance Joseph's defense coming off of the Broncos. He says that he thinks that Peyton could be lining up for more of an L.A. job, and he included the Rams in that regard, thinking that not that Sean Payton may fire, but more of the idea of the Rams may just be willing to spend whatever, trade whatever, because it's kind of been yep. their MO with a Sean McVay. I feel like that it'd be a little bit harder to sell me on that team being as much of a rebuild with a hurt quarterback as it is, especially considering that, you know, if you end up having Matthew Stafford as your best option, if he's hurt and can't go, like you're gonna have to trade a pick for like a Derek Carr. It's, it's really hard to see a Sean Payton guy who always seems to want to have a quarterback in place taking that job on. 
It'd be worst case for the Cardinals, obviously, but it feels like it's kind of a Chargers, Cardinals area situation. But do you even think that the idea of bringing a Sean Payton in is important? Is it something that can work with the Cardinals? And especially with an owner like Michael Bidwell, who we know is active, involved with the team far more than most NFL owners actually are with their franchises. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to ever look back on this this Cardinals Chargers game as like the Sean Payton Bowl, right? So the the, the Chargers use that win to to rally to make the playoffs and and they keep they keep uh, their coach for another year, Staley. Um, and now we lose that game and now we make a head of coaching change and Sean Payton happens to be out there. Um, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm I'm definitely excited about the prospect of, of bringing a Super Bowl winning coach like Payton in. Um, you know, like you like you said, he he wants to come into a situation where there's a, a stable franchise quarterback. You know, he he won all those games with with Drew Brees, of course. Um, he's not going to want to you know go to a team like the the Rams, where it could very well be a revolving door uh, of quarterbacks, like you saw with the the Colts after they lost Andrew Luck, just bring in whatever you know one year guy here and there. You know, maybe another year of of Stafford. You know, um, of course, I'm sure he'd rather uh, the Chargers. I think that's probably a more attractive job. Um, but if, if he does wind up coming here, yeah, there is a question of, of fit with, with the way this organization has been run. Um, yeah, Michael Bidwell is, is a very hands-on owner. Um, and those teams that, that Peyton was with, you know, in New Orleans, he, he had a lot to say in the way that that, you know, roster was built and, and a lot of say in the personnel decisions, you know, even though they've, they've, they had a good GM there. Um, I, I don't know if I would see him fit with Steve Kime specifically. So I think that would be. Uh, you would probably have Sean Payton bring in his own list of candidates for, for GM. Uh, I'd be interested to see that list for sure. Uh, but I think I think Bidwell and and Payton could could be a fit because Bidwell. I see this a lot in in the the comments in our our, our articles on ROTB. But um, I think Bidwell does want to win. I don't think a lot of Cardinals fans do, but I, I think Bidwell is really committed to winning. And I think where this franchise is now versus where it was under his father, uh, vastly better. Um, could it be better than it is? Yes. But I, I think, I think he's, I think he's a good owner. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I hope that he does take some time this off season to really, you know, consider the, the Cliff and Kime era and, uh, hopefully comes to the decision that, that, that it needs to end. And if it does, and a guy like Peyton is willing to come here, then I think Bidwell needs to, you know, put his ego aside, put his preferred way of running an organization aside and, and bring in, Peyton and, and, and try a new approach. Yeah, it feels kind of like I know with people who are local Valley sports fans, and we know there's international Cardinals fans who may not follow, but we saw the Phoenix Suns kind of transition away from the kind of uh, Terry McDonough. I know just to say he's the Cardinals guys, Terry McDonough's brother, Sean McDonough, who was there to a James Jones and then bringing in more of a veteran coach who'd won before in Amani Williams that not only attracted the likes of a Chris Paul, but we could see how the culture changed. It does feel like that maybe yeah. that's one of the areas that, you know, I think the concern is not necessarily that, you know, about maybe a Michael Bidwell or the Cardinals end. I think it's going to be more of like I said, like you said, be able to make sure that a guy like a Sean Payton can come in. Uh, one last question before we kind of wrap up, at least, is if you're going to take a look at the Chargers and the Cardinals, which seems to be kind of the two teams that are there. And I, I still have banked on that. I think that if you look at the teams in the AFC and say, all right, who are your playoff teams? There's a really good shot, at least to me, that. The Chargers and the Patriots are going to be the teams that are pushing against the Jets for the last two 
or I should say last one playoff spots. If we assume that one of the Ravens is winning the division and whoever doesn't the Bengals or maybe you flip flop, those are going to be close behind. I think if the chargers make the playoffs, you know, what you don't want to see is, you know, you get an interview, you get all the meetings and stuff taken care of with Sean Payton. You feel like you got this in the bag and then the chargers lose in round one of the playoffs and he goes there anyway. Why would you think then that the Chargers, maybe for Cardinals fans, for us, like we can see this team and go looking at, you know, Hopkins and Hollywood Brown. They are under contract. You at least can say that you've got decent tackles at the position for the most part. You're not having to rebuild an entire offensive line. You know, you can look at the safety position, some of the corners. It feels like this is a Cardinals team that ultimately we saw just a year ago was a playoff caliber team. Now a year later, injuries and really a bunch of other issues have just popped up. Do you think that there's other reasons why the Chargers looks like a better job or is that more functional just based off of, you know, the consensus opinion about people's idea of Justin Herbert versus looking at Kyler Murray as a quarterback who's maybe more atypical than your, you know, six, five pocket passer. Yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, Herbert just looks the part of a franchise QB. Um, just, yeah, tall, huge arm, um, you know, all of that. And there, there isn't that, you know, negative perception around Herbert that there is about Kyler, you know, with the film study clause, with the Call of Duty stuff, with the stuff you're seeing in the media, you know, he, he, he's pretty, you know, he's a non-entity in the media in that way. Um, but I, I mean, if I'm Sean Payton and I can have either one of those, I'm happy with either of those in my franchise QB. I don't, I don't think that's a deciding factor, you know, Kyler versus um, Herbert. I, I think what it is, is about the optics of each franchise. Um, you know, if you're the Chargers, you're in LA, huge market, Southern California. Um, you know, you, you're gonna have the money there, and the perception around the Chargers has just been that they're one thing away, right? Like it's just they always it, it's the coach usually. You know, it's they they've got franchise players like Herbert and Derwin uh and Eckler and those guys but it, it just always seems like all right they just need they're a coach away is kind of the the prevailing you know opinion um with the Cardinals a lot of the stuff we've talked about today there's just a lot of negativity out there in the media about this franchise um from you know Kime and his you know legal issues to you know Patrick Peterson badmouth in the franchise to all the stuff about Kyler um and it just if you're going to pick between you know the the chargers and the cardinals for that reason i think i think the chargers are a little bit more of an attractive job yeah awesome oh hey thank you so much again for being able to join that's john buckley and uh, i'm blake murphy john let's go ahead and have you just reach out and tell all of the fans at least for the most part where they could find some of your content something you've worked recently on i appreciate you jumping in to kind of view where the cardinals are during this bye week it's definitely not been the season that we've wanted but you know if fans want to follow make sure that you're shouting out to where they can at least see some of your work so uh you can you can find all my writing on uh, revenge of the birds uh you can find you know every every week you'll find a piece or two i just uh, had a good long piece about, uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury and the offense in that second half uh, collapse against the Chargers. Um, and you can find more pieces uh, coming up in, in the next week or so. Sounds good. That is John Buckley. I'm Blake Murphy. Thanks for tuning in, Cards fans. Uh, we'll be back at least with a couple of shows next week, at least. Uh, having a couple of fun guests on, at least including Tim Ring. He's going to be back on our show next week. It'll be fun. Make sure you tune in for that. In the meantime, enjoy the bye week. Enjoy having a little bit of time off from this 4-8 and eight franchise. It's the state of 4-8 and eight this week here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Go Cardinals. Go Cardinals.